everyone and welcome to the Game Changer Law Advisors podcast. I'm Subhashini. And I'm Atila. And we are associates at GLA. In today's podcast, we hope to review the recent decision of the Indian government to geoblock 59 Chinese apps. The basis for such a ban under the framework of the Information Technology Act and what this means for technology companies operating in India. What is its legal basis? And what issues does the ban pose? On June 29, 2020, in the midst of the India-China clash in the territory of Galwan Valley in Ladakh, the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, or METI, announced its decision to block 59 mobile applications. This announcement was made via a press note published in the webs- on the website of the Press Information Bureau. This order has been imposed on a wide range of apps ranging in subject matter from video content apps, utility apps, news apps, and e-commerce apps. The ban itself covers popular apps such as TikTok, ShareIt, WeChat, CamScanner, UC Browser, Club Factory, and Shein. Though the press note does not expressly mention China, all the apps listed in the press note appear to be owned by Chinese companies. To implement the app, to implement the ban, METI has issued directions to internet service providers and telecom companies requiring them to block access to these apps immediately. In the press note, METI has cited growing concerns regarding data security and privacy of information collected by these apps as posing a threat to the country's sovereignty, integrity, defense, security of state and public order. The decision to ban these apps has been made by METI in the exercise of its powers under Section 69A of the Information Technology Act 2000, or the IT Act, read with the IT procedure and safeguards for blocking of access of information by public rules 2009. That's a mouthful indeed. For the rest of the podcast, we will be referring to these as the blocking rules. So, Subhashini, what is Section 69A? Section 69A empowers the central government of India to issue directions either by itself or through its authorized officer to block public access to any information on the internet. Only if these three conditions are fulfilled. Number one, the designated officer or the DO appointed by the government is satisfied that it is necessary to block such access in the interest of sovereignty, defense, security, public order, and so on. Second, The DO will have to record its reasons for making this decision in writing. And third, the DO will have to pass an order directing the relevant government agency or intermediary to block such public access. Intermediary here would mean entities such as internet service providers, telecom service providers, or even search engines. That's interesting. We can see that this provision is narrowly drafted. Under Section 69A, the government can only block content on the internet on the basis of one or more of these grounds. Now let's look at what the blocking rules have to say on this. A direction to block may be issued by the DO against a government organization or an intermediary only on receipt of a request or complaint from a nodal officer in the government, a competent court, or any person with the prior approval of a state's chief secretary. We must note here that the DO itself does not have any power to issue a blocking direction on its own. 
So, Subhashini, what steps does a DO have to take to pass a valid direction to block content? First, on the basis of the complaint received from a nodal officer, the DO will have to conduct an examination to see what the grounds of the complaint are. Does it satisfy the conditions laid down in Section 69A? Does it threaten national security, defense, or public order, or any of the other grounds that Section 69A talks about? Second, the DO will have to acknowledge receipt of the complaint from the nodal officer within 24 hours of receiving it and forward it to the internal committee for examination. Third, the DO will identify the intermediary hosting the information in question and serve a notice on it to appear before this committee. We must note that until the final order is passed by the IT secretary, as we will talk about soon, the content is not considered to be blocked. The committee will have to provide its final recommendations in writing to the DO. Then the committee's recommendations have to be forwarded by the DO to the IT secretary meeting. Only if the secretary gives the go-ahead is the DO empowered to issue a blocking direction to the intermediary in question. This entire process ranging from receipt of the complaint by the DO to the issuance of a blocking direction will have to be conducted by the DO's office within a period of seven working days. And this was the process that is ordinarily followed by the DO's office. However, Rule 9 of the blocking rules empowers the DO to issue an interim blocking order without complying with this process. This can be done if the following conditions are fulfilled. One, there is an emergent situation for which any kind of delay is not acceptable. Two, the complaint must still fall within the scope of the grounds specified in Section 69A. And three, it is necessary and justifiable to block such information. This is the process which appears to have been followed in passing the direction for the present app ban. Though in the absence of information to confirm, it is difficult for us to be sure. Under Rule 9, the process that has to be followed is first, the DO will examine the request or complaint received. Second, the DO shall directly submit the request or complaint before the IT secretary along with its recommendations in writing. And third, if the IT secretary is satisfied that these conditions have been fulfilled, it may pass an order to the identified intermediary without giving it an opportunity to be heard. However, it is important to remember that this order is merely interim in nature, unlike an order passed through the ordinary route. Therefore, the DO is still required to bring the matter for examination before the committee that we discussed earlier within a period of 48 hours of the interim order. TikTok came out with a public statement a day after the ban where it stated that it had been invited by the government to submit clarifications on the matter. We may draw a conclusion here from this that the blocking order passed was indeed an interim order under Rule 9. The burden of proof now is on the government to show that the ban on all 59 apps satisfies the conditions under Rule 9. That is to say, was there an emergent situation that warranted the ban on each of them? Do each of the apps individually meet the conditions under 69A? And was it necessary and justifiable to block such information? That's right. The government must show that there was basis to ban each of those 59 apps owing to an emergent situation and that each of them was a threat to national security independently. 
This may prove difficult considering that the apps have little in common and ranged from social media to e-commerce to news platforms and even utility-based applications like CamScanner. Another point to note is the necessity of the ban. Would a limited ban have sufficed to achieve its goals, such as a ban on access of the apps by strategically important parties like the armed forces or government employees? Speaking of Rule 9, it is relevant to note that these blocking rules do not specify the maximum duration within which the IT secretary has to pass a final order. Therefore, leaving room for misuse and unjustified delays. In the absence of the final order, the interim order continues to stand valid, ensuring that the information remains blocked indefinitely. And finally, since Rule 9 Clause 2 only requires the Secretary to issue the direction to the intermediary in question, and Rule 16 requires that the complaints and actions taken as a result of such complaints be kept confidential, and the result is that there is no transparency in the process. Though the public has an equally important stake in the information sought to be blocked, it has no access to the actual order being passed to block the content, which is particularly problematic in the context of banning apps such as TikTok that provide a means of livelihood to multitudes of small-scale influencers. That's an interesting point. Unlike the blocking of, say, a single page of a website, some of the apps banned by Métis affect multiple livelihoods. This suggests that the confidentiality obligation under Rule 16 may not be justified given the public impact of the ban. We know from your explanation of Section 69A that reasons must be provided for any such order. The absence of a reasoned decision, on one hand, may not stand to constitutional scrutiny and also it would be a harmful precedent that could cause companies to reassess their business operations in India. The ban, however, raises a timely, crucial issue. While we may not be aware of the exact nature of national security threats posed by these apps, having a robust policy to deal with privacy concerns is key. Mobile applications collect a wide range of personal data, including location, email ID, phone number, and banking data, and sometimes even access to your camera, call logs, mic, and SMSs. Ensuring that personal data of this nature is not divulged without express user consent to a foreign government is a valid concern. In fact, even the notification issued by the PIB notes that the Métis had received complaints regarding the misuse of user data by unauthorized transmissions to servers outside India. It clearly follows that India must have in place robust rules that clearly govern data use, transmission, and storage outside the country. As of today, only payment systems operators have been directed by the RBI to store all data related to the payment systems that operate within the country. As we have discussed in today's podcast, the current framework under the Information Technology Act and the rules allows for blocking only pursuant to the process prescribed under Section 69A, and a broader system of rules is necessary to ensure that these measures are consistently applied and meet constitutional safeguards. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on the Métis order and on how the government can strategically develop frameworks to address national security concerns in a growing digital world. Until next time, this is Subhashini and Atula signing off. Thank you. Thank you.